It's just so good and such a privilege and such a joy to speak to you, City Church, and uh, to those online in other parts of the world. Uh, this is going to be one of the best messages you've ever heard in your life. And um, it's just so, so, so awesome. You know, in this message, I believe this, that as you listen and you track with me in the Spirit, you may... Uh, enjoy most of the message, but there's going to come a point, maybe it lasts five seconds or two seconds, where you'll get an instant light up, a revelation. The love of God will strike your soul and inspire you to heal your heart and change you for the rest of your life. Sometimes in a whole message, there's just that one moment that lights you up for the rest of your life, but you need to track with the sequence and listen diligently and humbly and with just pull the word, the word of God into your life. Anyway, so good to see you and, uh, and um, just been looking forward to this time today. We're, we're in our third message on the series on the Father's agape love. Agape means uh, unselfish, sacrificial love. And nothing but God has agape love. Human beings do not generate agape love. Uh, they can't. They have to receive it from the Father himself. So, you know, as I believe this, that many, many, many people around the world are not dying from sickness and disease. The majority of people, I believe, are dying silently and quietly uh, with a broken heart. And as, as oxygen is to lungs, so is the love of God to human hearts. And so we're going to look here that uh, in, in 1 John chapter 4.10, and I want to use our foundation scriptures and take you in deeper today. So this is what it says so clearly. In this is love. This is how the Bible defines love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this word propitiation is really, it's an English word, but it's really a simple word. It's a theological word. And propitiation means that Jesus removed all judgment and all wrath off our lives. So here it is. Here's the foundation of this series that is so important, is that this is love. This is agape. It had nothing to do with our attempts to love God. It had everything to do with God's agape love, his sacrificial love, took the initiative to love us so much that he removed any judgment, separation, or anger from heaven off our lives completely. So that is, is very, very good news. So what we've shared is that in the old covenant, it's a demand system, and it demands uh, of us what we cannot give. The reason why the law came was not to make us holy or help us to be righteous. It came to make us feel completely hopeless, and we needed to receive God's agape love. We need to receive His grace and not be afraid and ashamed of our spiritual bankruptcy because He can make us wealthy and rich in the wealth and riches of His love and in His grace. So under that law, the demand covenant, it demanded from our spiritual bankruptcy that we love God, that we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And obviously, we were spiritually bankrupt, and we completely failed. We could not love God. This is love, that we did not love God, but God agapeed us. And in the new covenant, the supply system, he now loves us with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength, and all his might. And today, we want to talk about how do you receive the fullness of God's love into your heart? Because people today are making a mistake. They're trying to love God. They're trying to operate under the demand system, the old covenant system, and it's failing, and it doesn't work. But when you receive his love, Listen, the kingdom of heaven is not achieved. The kingdom of heaven is all received. Anything in the kingdom must be a result 
of what you've received fully from God because you know and have learned the capacity to stop trying to love God, but now you have learned to let the Father love you fully. So I want to look at another foundational scripture. It's in 1 John chapter 4. It's very clear. And we have, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is agape. God is love. And he who abides or lives in agape love abides or lives in the almighty presence of God's glory himself. So love is the secret of access to living in the manifest presence of God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. That's a key verse in this series. Because as he is, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So that's how we start loving God with agape, and we start loving people with agape, because we first understand we are spiritually bankrupt, but in Christ, we can receive God's perfect love for us. And the more we fill up with His love, then the more we produce manifest signs and fruits of the kingdom, and we're able to worship and love God back, and we're able to love people around us with agape love. The greatest evangelistic influence we can have on the earth is to love people with a love that doesn't come from the earth. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. And they know the difference. As he is, so are we in this world. That must mean that as Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father in heaven, he's exalted to the highest place in all glory and power and supreme authority, as he is, so the believer in Christ is in this world. Now, God has to see you that way. And so this sermon is actually called Looking at Yourself Through the Eyes of the Father's Love. Looking at Yourself Through the Eyes of the Father's Love. You remember when last week we talked about when God the Father commissioned Jesus to go out into his ministry at the age of 30. Jesus hadn't done one miracle, no healings, no supernatural signs and wonders, zero. And the father didn't say, listen, just get out there and go and do your thing. It's the red lights coming off here. Go and do your thing. Uh, it's about time you went and do miracles. No, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus went out and the devil came immediately, listen to this, listen to this. The devil came immediately to tempt Jesus. And notice he said, if you be, if you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Notice he left out, he deleted, he omitted the word beloved. He had heard what the father had said to Jesus. But instead of saying, if you be the beloved son, turn this bread into turn these stones into bread. The devil wants you to omit the word beloved. You are the Father's beloved. And when you know you are the beloved, you are secure. You're a beloved son, a beloved daughter. And it, it is so much easier to see through the devil's lies. See, the devil's trying to pressurize Jesus to do miracles, signs and wonders, because he was trying to tempt Jesus to do something by the demand of the demonic. And one of the things that happens as soon as the church starts teaching on miracles and signs and wonders, the devil comes to us already, immediately, and he, try, and he, try, and he will remove the word beloved, and he will just call us, well, if you are sons of God, if you believe in healing, 
Where are the miracles? Where are the resurrections? Where are the eyes blinding, the blind eyes opening? He will try to pressurize you with guilt to do miracles. And if there are few miracles in your life, the devil will try to make you feel that you're not a beloved son, that you're not a daughter of God. But I want to say this to you. We are not doing miracles out of pressure or out of any demand on us. We are rebuking that, and we are beloved sons, and we are saying as we walk and receive his love, we, we are as he, as he is in heaven. So we in this world, the Father sees us as he sees his Son in heaven, and the more you believe that and receive that, miracles will happen in your life without pressure and in God's perfect timing. So be at peace. Do not worry about how many miracles are happening through your life. Be receptive of God's agape love. Isn't that wonderful? Now let's have a look here. The reason why we need to understand that we were bankrupt and we could not reveal God's love without first surrendering and receiving His love on a daily basis. So the more we understand His love, the more we have revelation of how He loves us, then we will begin to produce miracles that will surprise us and, 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 and we'll be pleasantly astonished. Oh my goodness, God, is, did that really happen? A blind eye opened because I prayed and laid my hands on someone. You watch what God's going to do when you move away from trying to love God with all your heart and let God love you with all of his heart and let him flood you with his love. Now, I want you to see this, uh, that we were spiritually bankrupt, and we were useless and hopeless and powerless to actually save ourselves. We were ungodly and sinful, but agape love came and saved us from wrath. So I want us just to read Romans chapter 5. It says here in verse 6, For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak and powerless, spiritually bankrupt to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. While we were still lost and ungodly, and there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Never experience the wrath of God. Now I'm going to take you to a verse that's going to maybe stretch us a little bit and go, how can this be? But if we can believe 1 John 4, where the Bible says, as he is in heaven, so are we in this world. See, if you look at yourself through your eyes, you will contradict the word of God. Because the word of God is talking about things that you cannot see with your natural eyes, but you can see with the eyes of your heart. And if you live only by what you see and can taste and touch with the natural you will never operate in faith, and you will never experience the love of God. The kingdom of heaven is not based on the temporal things that you can see. The kingdom of heaven is based on the eternity on the inside of us. And we do not base what is temporary. We base our faith on what is the eternal, everlasting. And God's love is eternal and everlasting. And as we walk in his love, the eternal things of heaven will transform and change the temporal or temporary things in this earth. So I can't unpack that anymore. I just want to say this. The gospel will have no power in our lives unless we accept that we have to look at ourselves through the eyes of the Father's love. If you look at yourself through the eyes of the Father's love, you will be amazed at the transformation in your life. So let me go to the scripture. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. 
I'm sure you're tracking well with me. Some of you are listening to this message several weeks or months after it's been preached. Some of you are listening to it a few hours after it's preached. And uh, some of you will never listen to it. But anyway, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 7. All this is life-giving. All of this is is going to save you hours of unnecessary confusion, pain, insecurity, and anxiety. I just want to tell you, if I can get to that place in this message, in my opinion, which, which I believe is based on the Word of God, the greatest need on the planet, it, it may be food and water and housing and all of that stuff, but the greatest need is healing of a broken heart. The greatest issue on our planet is a consciousness of rejection and a feeling of pain, a feeling of being abandoned, a feeling of being disqualified and made to feel of no value. And maybe it's mothers or fathers or uncles or aunties or friends that betrayed you or all kinds of people, bosses. There is a brokenheartedness and a consciousness of rejection that is like a scourge and it is like a destructive force in this earth. And the love of human beings, the love of this world cannot heal you. But agape love, the Father's full love in your life will heal your broken heart. It's healing all of our broken hearts. But we have to listen to the word. We have to receive the word and grow in the word. Watch how you need to see yourself through the Father's eyes of love, not through your natural eyes. Look at this, it says in verse 4 of Ephesians 1. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen, so that we would be seen, so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes. You may not feel holy in your eyes, but you need to see yourself the superior way that the living God who created the heavens and the earth, he sees you as holy in his eyes. That we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. And no matter what translation you read, it says that through his eyes. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify His grace. You know what glorifies grace? Us receiving His love. For the same love He has for His beloved, beloved one, Jesus, same love He has for His beloved one, Jesus, He has for us, He has for you, whatever your name is, He loves you exactly the way He loves the beloved one, Jesus. You are His beloved, and He loves you constantly, and He'll never stop loving you with the same love He has for Jesus. What? And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. That is so wonderful. We'll, we'll, just, we'll leave that part out. So, so, friends, I just want to say, don't live like the natural world lives. Live as supernatural. See yourself through the Father's eyes, and you'll see a tremendous difference. Now, I want to, I want to ask a question, and uh, just relax, because, you know, the Bible has been around for thousands of years, but the tragedy is that people have been misinterpreting the Bible for thousands of years. And one of the most dangerous books on the planet is the Bible if you translate it the wrong way. It'll produce hatred, it'll produce wars, it'll pr- produce racism, it'll produce nationalistic rejection of other nations, and it'll produce the worst things. It is only the agape love, the love of God, that can produce people like Jesus on this earth. And so that's why we need to actually understand by revelation what is the love of God and how to to walk in it. So here's the thing that I need to say. If it's new to you, um, let it be true to you as you listen to the context. Jesus only came to this earth for one purpose. He didn't come for two or three purposes. He came to this earth for one purpose. And if we don't understand the purpose he came to this earth, then we will never understand the gospel and we will never understand the Father's love. And unfortunately, many, many believers 
do not understand the purpose that Jesus came to this earth. They have many ideas what his purpose was, but it's wrong teaching, and we will see it very clearly in the Word of God right now. Okay, let me tell you what the main purpose was. Jesus came to this earth for one purpose. It was to reveal the Father's love. That's why Jesus came to this earth, to reveal his Father's love. So if you read uh, John 17, verse 3, listen to these words. Jesus said, Father, I have glorified you in the earth, and I have finished the purpose or the work that you gave to me. Now, if you read that understanding the place it's written in John 17, you will know that the cross was only coming in John 19. And yet Jesus had not gone to the cross yet, yet he said, Father, I have finished the purpose that I've come into the earth. I have glorified you or I have revealed you. Now people say, but what about the cross? Let me say this again. We need to understand what the purpose of the cross is. But the only purpose Jesus had in this earth was to reveal, to glorify the love and the nature of his Father. See, it doesn't say, in John 14, verse 6, it does not say, Jesus does not say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to heaven but by me. Jesus didn't come to the earth to get you to heaven. Jesus never came to this earth to get you forgiven. He didn't come to this earth to give you salvation. Those are the fruit of what he came to do, but they are not his purpose. His purpose is to reveal the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. So many Christians think Jesus came to get them to heaven. He came to get them to uh, salvation, or he came to forgive them. And yet they're still very insecure, and they don't know the Father, and they feel far from the Father. But when you understand that Jesus' purpose was to come to reveal the love of the Father and that the Father sees you as totally innocent in His eyes. And as Jesus is, so are you in this earth. That's what Jesus came, to reveal the Father's love for you. You say, well, what about the cross, Rob? That on the cross, uh, He said, it is finished. Well, what was finished? I'll tell you what was finished. The old covenant was finished because under the old covenant, the demand system that you have to love God with all your heart and mind and soul was changed to God loves you with all his heart and all of his mind, all of his soul, all of his strength. The Father loves you. Now listen, the old covenant had to be canceled. Why? If you study the entire old covenant, you will see that Israel and all the people before the cross and before Jesus, they had no understanding or concept of God as a father. He's not revealed as a father almost anywhere under the old covenant. There is nothing, almost nothing in the old covenant that even hints that God is a loving father. You've got to let that get into your heart. The people of Israel and the people of the nations under the old covenant saw God as holy. He is holy, but they also saw him as very distant and far away, and they saw him as an angry God. They never called God Father, Daddy, never under the old covenant. And then Jesus arrives and he says, my father said this and my father said that and this is what my father's like. And he talked about his father and he revealed his father. That's why he came. So I'm going to read to you from my, the, I, this, this John 14 is my favorite passage in the Bible, one of them. And I went there so often that finally it came out of my New King James. But I want you to see now, shock of all shocks, not only did Jesus come to reveal the Father's love to us and how he sees us in his eyes, Jesus also came to reveal to us through the Father's love that our mission in life, our only purpose on this earth is we believers, our major purpose is to reveal the love of the Father to unbelievers. I want to say that again. Your main purpose as a believer is to reveal the love of the Father 
to the unbelievers in this earth. For when they taste and experience the Father's love through you, you are revealing the Father, and they will want to meet this Father. Jesus is the way to the Father. He's not the way to heaven. If you're in Christ, you're going to go to heaven, and you're saved because of forgiveness and all of those graces. But you'll miss the whole purpose of Jesus coming if you don't read the Bible differently. He came to reveal the Father to you, and then he, he came, secondly, in that first purpose, for you to reveal the Father in your generation. Look what he says here in John 14. I'm just going to read it from a crumpled piece of paper. But it says this. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice not many ways or many truths or many life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen to this. He's talking about us now. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For, and from now on, you will know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. But the Father dwells in me. He does the miracles. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the miracles themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, anyone, anyone, anyone who believes in me, the miracles that I do will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. He goes to the Father as he is. So are we in this world, innocent in the Father's loving us. So we are called to reveal the Father. No pressure. You can't make it happen. You've got to be receptive to the Father's love. So this makes uh, a lot of clarity uh, to many, many things that Jesus says. Uh, there's some, when you know that his only purpose was to reveal the Father, you will realize that when he tells the parable of the prodigal son. He is not talking about a human father. He is talking about his father. Now, in summary, we know that the way the sons treated the father in the parable of the prodigal son, which, by the way, is in the red letters in the Bible. Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. It was Jesus telling the, the story. Both the sons were absolutely dreadful. I mean, they acted and behaved so unkind, so selfishly, that if anyone should have been hurt, bitter, insecure, aggrieved, and angry, it should have been the father. But Jesus is revealing his father in this parable. And many natural human fathers, if they were treated like these two sons treated them, Many natural fathers would have thrown tantrums, become violent even, uh, withdraw, withdraw from their children, uh, become very, very caustic and toxic and mean and punish them in terrible, devastating ways. But if you think of how arrogant the younger son was and he just wanted his father to die and he just wanted to get the money and ended up with prostitutes and all we know this and he came back with the smell of the pig star on him and I tell you this that he was not coming back because he loved his father that it's very clear in the scriptures he was coming back because his belly was empty he was eating pig's food and he realized uh, if I get to my father's house I may have a chance uh, of, of getting some food. So he wasn't motivated by repentance or love for his father. His repentance was just all made up to try and deceive his father. And before he could even repent, his father was hugging him and kissing him and gave him the best robe, 
gave him the ring of authority on his hand and the best sandals. And the older brother, who's complaining and arrogant because he had done everything right on the outside and he expected he had earned and deserved the blessing of the father, and now he's angry that the father's blessing the son who's been so sinful. But the older son is just as arrogant and prideful like the Pharisees because he is so self-righteous, he feels he earned and deserved it. And the father says to the older son, listen, everything I have is yours. You need only ask and I can give it to you. This is a father that treats two belligerent sons who are so dishonoring, he treats them with perfect love. He doesn't get angry with them. He doesn't disown them. He doesn't reject them. All he does is love them with agape love, perfect love, loving them. This is Jesus revealing what his father is like. Now listen, the father puts on the son with the pig star, smell on him. He puts on him, the Bible says, the best robe. And when he did that, the best robe. He didn't give him a cheap robe. The father was wealthy and he gave him the best robe. So much wealth came from the father and the father did not pick an inferior robe. The father didn't think, well, I'll give him just an old robe and if he behaves, I'll give him a better robe and then finally I'll give him the best robe. No, the father's love is absolutely unconditional. Don't you think, this sounds insane. I mean, how can you treat people like this? Well, You and I do not know how to love unconditionally. We cannot produce this supernatural change in people's life by our human love. But I tell you, when you experience the Father loving you like he does love you, you can think of murderers, psychopaths, even some of the worst murderers in war crimes were given the gospel of God's love and they changed, they repented, they got saved. They even went and got executed with total sense of the father's love it's the love of god that changes people it is not behavior modification it is not threats and manipulation in a in a rule of law in a system in the earth we have to rely on the rule of law but that doesn't change people's hearts but the father's love will melt your heart and change your life into someone who becomes totally free from all the hassles and insecurities and bitterness and brokenheartedness, dysfunction, and, and anger. So that, that uh, best robe that the father gave him, he's going to have a look there. He was so full of joy. And the son, there was dancing and there was happiness, and the older brother was angry. And if you've got people in the church today that are angry with songs and music and drums and dancing and jumping and clapping, then they've got the older brother's mentality and they need to experience the father's love because when you've sinned so badly and the father doesn't punish you but he gives you the best robe and the ring and the sandals, then you know you've got something to dance about. So let's look about what is this best robe the father gave him. I just want to say this, when you mess up, do not fall into the demonic temptation of trying to clothe yourself with your own clothing of your own works. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately felt ashamed, they hid from God, and they tried to clothe themselves. You clothing yourself in religion is the worst possible destructive thing you could ever do. Run to your father and let him clothe you with the best robe. And here is the best robe, which brings joy. Isaiah 61 and in verse 10. Let's read it together. I will greatly, not just rejoice, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I mean, that is what we have. Don't clothe yourself in religion. It'll, it'll kill you. Clothe yourself. Let the Father clothe you with his love. And then the ring, he didn't say put a plastic ring on him and then, you know, if he behaves, we'll get a more expensive ring. He immediately puts the gold ring, the ring of authority that gives him access to all the finances of the whole estate of his father. Even though he's just been irresponsible with money, now he's been changed by love and he will be responsible with money. And then he gets shoes put on his feet because he's barefoot. And under the law, to be barefoot means 
to have no standing before the Father. And so when the presence of God comes under the old covenant, God would command men and women, take off your shoes. And so he comes home with no shoes. He's got no standing. And the Father puts sandals, puts shoes on his feet. And these two Greek words, which the Bible was written uh, in, that refers to sandals. One is sandalon, and the one is hodima. Hodima sounds almost Cantonese. Sandalon means cheap shoes. Hodima means the most expensive leather, the best shoes. Guess which one the Bible uses? Which word? Hodima. He puts the best sandals on him. Because on the cross, Jesus lost all his standing with the Father. And he, he was crucified not only naked, but he was crucified without any shoes. And he lost his standing with the Father that we can be clothed with standing in the Father with shoes of the most expensive shoes. Ephesians 6 Verse 15 says that we wear the shoes of the gospel of peace. And so in Christ Jesus, every part of God restores us in love. Now, I want to start looking at closing in the next 20 minutes. No, I want to look at closing. I want to close this out um, with these. I, I could finish here. This is a good place to finish. I don't know what time I started. I wish I knew, but anyway. <laughs> uh. I've said everything up now in these three teachings on agape love, and it's, it's, it's going to go a little bit uh, beyond us now, because I believe, I want to remind you, that Jesus' calling was to reveal the Father. That's his entire purpose. And in the old covenant, wrong image of God, and now see him as a father. And if you grew up with a bad father, you've got to understand, you may need healing in your heart, and that's in this message coming in a moment. And I know as being a pastor for 45 years or 44 years, I have felt like the majority of people's problems is a harsh or indifferent or an absentee father or father that was present but not there. He did not know how to love his children because he had dysfunction and he was broken. And he, as a father, tried to cover himself with religious clothing and became a Pharisee and absolutely did not understand how to love you. And there is no perfect human father. Some do the job better than others, but the fathers on earth that will do the greatest job is those that learn more and more about their father's love for them. They will learn how to father better. But I can tell you, almost the num I say the number one cause of dysfunction in the earth for men and women is a dysfunctional father in the home. And this message and this series can heal you of every single hurt where you felt rejected, felt you didn't have value, felt like your dad's attitude was, I've no respect for you, you're nothing like me, I'm superior, and felt like you were thrown away, discarded as something worthless. I'm not exaggerating. I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of people directly and indirectly, multiple thousands, who had to get healed of their disappointment in the earthly dad. Do not transfer the image of your earthly dad onto this father because your father in heaven is just like Jesus. He revealed the father. And as you let the father heal your heart, you are going to reveal the father's love to a generation that doesn't even know what agape love is. And if you go through the streets and go into the bars and at 3 o'clock in the morning around the world, you'll see young, beautiful girls and boys all dressed up to impress because they're looking for love. But they'll never find agape love there unless there's a Christian there. I've been into bars at 3 o'clock in the morning, turned the, the sound off and put the lights on quickly before I was beaten up and preached the gospel of God's love. And then the bouncers grab me and they throw me out. But then a whole lot of young people come out with me and say, why did you have so much courage to come and do that here? And you spoke about God's love. And then I'd preach the gospel and get them saved. Let me tell you, when you're revealing the Father's love to others, it's because more and more you've been healed from human fathers by the love of your heavenly Father. But here's the thing. One, Jesus primarily came to reveal the Father. Here comes the shock. He came to reveal the Father 
to sinners. So much of the church today is so thinking about itself, and they don't think about the lost, the sinners, the unbelievers. In fact, some Christians feel it would be sinful to eat and drink with sinners or have friends who are sinners, and they don't want sinners to come to their church because they don't want sinners to make their church dirty or worldly or ungodly. But let me tell you, Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus, in in Luke chapter 7, which I've read so many times, he said, I'm accused of being called a friend of sinners. And he said, basically he said, this is not an insult to me. This is a compliment. I am a friend of sinners. If the church worldwide would get the revelation of the Father's love, and that Jesus came to reveal the Father's love to us believers, but he came primarily to reveal the Father's love to sinners who don't believe they can go to church because they're not good enough, but they loved Jesus because Jesus was a friend of sinners. Why? Because the Father's love is a friend of sinners. Well, Rob, you're going to quote me first, John, now. Rob, he that's a friend with this world is an enemy of God. If you keep on taking scriptures out of their context, you are going to end up working your way into an irrelevant little religious corner, wearing the clothings of Pharisees. But I tell you, when you reach out to a sinner and you don't patronize them and think you're superior to them because you're not, because you didn't save yourself, and you love them with integrity, and you're not religious with them, you will see the most exciting things you've ever seen in your life is when they turn to the Father's love. So I, want to, I just want to look at two scriptures here and close. Um, I want you to look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. And I want you to see this. Then all the tax collectors, now in those days tax collectors, <laughs> tax collectors were hated. Um, I don't know how much has changed. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near. Say drew near in your heart. They drew near to him. Sinners drew near to the friend of sinners. Sinners drew near to Jesus. He was revealing the Father's love. Sinners drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the attitude of much of the church today. But Jesus attracted sinners. I was never attracted to Christians when I was a sinner because they were like Pharisees. And they would lecture me with their religious ideas. I was a philosopher and I could argue with them intellectually and beat them and debate them. But I was not impressed that they could not show me the integrity of their father's love. They didn't know their father's love. They just had a message. They would put the wrong garment on me and destroy my life. I want to say to any Christian around the world that has been a garment has been put on you that has absolutely taken away your creativity, your, your, your sense of well-being, and celebrating who you are, that is a wrong garment. That's not the best robe. That's a destructive robe of religion. And the Pharisees hated the sinners because they felt superior to them because they did not know the Father's love. They were relying on their self-righteousness. And Jesus certainly exposed them. And if, if, you, if you just go to, I'm going I'm to go to another scripture. Uh, it's gonna, it not, not right now, but in a moment. It's from Luke 7, from verse 36. But there's a Pharisee in this situation. It's named Simon. And he invites Jesus to dinner, which is kind of him to do that. But... This Pharisee is so full of his own self-righteousness and arrogance. He's wearing the robes of self-righteous arrogance. He is such a puppet. He has been indoctrinated by the propaganda of religion. He can't have a unique thought himself. He is just parroting the religious system. That's all he can do. And so he sees Jesus coming in and Soon after Jesus has come into his house, a a prostitute that is well known in that area for working that area as a famous prostitute, she is well known for for what she does. And she comes in and she starts washing Jesus' feet, feet with her hair and kissing his feet. And the Pharisee has got such a religious stink on him that he can't even recognize that this issue happening in front of him in his house is a revelation that those who understand how much they have fallen short of the glory of God, those that 
understand how far they've fallen short of the glory of God, that they could never work their way in their own terms to come back to God, but they have to trust simply in His love. And when they are forgiven, they love much. The ones that understand grace and forgiveness love Him back. They return agape love to the Father. He loves them with agape love. But Pharisees, they can't do that because they stuck up in judging sinners. And I want you to read this because it's an eye opener. Let's just, let's just go through this. Roman, uh, sorry, Luke 7. It's, it's a kind of a long reading, but we're nearly finished. And I want you to see this. Uh, I hope it shocks you. I hope it opens your eyes to see that many of us, if we're not careful, we are doing this in our own hearts, except if we have agape love. But it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Pharisees and religious people sit in services or in places saying to themselves arrogant, ungodly things. He said to himself, if this man, referring to Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. See, Jesus knew what Simon the Pharisee was thinking. Anyone preaching knows what people are thinking when they're in the room, because you can pick it up. And so he knew what Simon was thinking. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain man. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is about $100,000, and the other 50, which is about 1,000 or whatever. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. It's normal in Jewish society when the man walks in, the other man who hosts the meeting comes and gives him a kiss on the cheek. From the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is it who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Saved you. Go in peace. Now let me tell you, that Pharisee had so much, he had worse sins than that woman prostitute. He had the sins of pride and arrogance, and yet he felt he only needed a little bit of forgiveness. So he didn't love God very much. But when you understand the Father's love and how totally he's forgiven you of some terrible things that you don't even know about, he's just forgiven you, you're going to love him back because of his great love. So let me close with this, Romans chapter 15. And I want to show you what Jesus did at the cross it's so amazing. And I can finish up with you. Romans chapter, here we go. Verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. It's talking about the cross. The insults of those who insult you. The insults that have hurt you, made you feel rejected, made you feel bitter, made your heart feel broken. The insults of those who insult you 
has fallen on me. When Jesus went to the cross, the insults that people have insulted you with, their rejections, he took their rejections of you and the insults to you and their betrayals to you. He took that onto his own heart. And I'm not going to try and be scientific here, but this is backed up by science that Jesus died on the cross of a broken heart because the, there's a rupture in the heart always will separate blood and water. And when the Roman centurion stuck his spear into Jesus' side, blood and water came out. Jesus' heart was broken. His heart was absolutely broken by the insults, rejections, the pains, the neglect you've experienced. He took it for you so that you can be healed, so that you can have a pure heart, so that you can have a heart that is free from hurt and rejection, and you can know the Father's love. And I'll tell you what, that is so powerful. We often think, yeah, he died for our sins by our stripes. We've been healed from physical sickness. But many people don't know this verse. He took the insults that insulted you so that he could kill those insults. He could, he could cancel them so that you can walk with a heart that is not insulted, angry, bitter, confused, feeling rejected. So, Father, I thank you. There is nothing in the earth that can replace your agape, perfect love. Thank you for people that will listen to this over the next few weeks and months and are listening today. That your love comes right now and heals every broken heart. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. He's anointed me to bring you good news and to heal the brokenhearted. Father, we think about Hong Kong. How many people are brokenhearted? And on the outside, trying to go about life mechanically by principles and routines. They never know, have never known your love, Father. We ask that the church would awaken to the love of God and that you're a friend of sinners, that we'd stop judging sinners and walk in agape love and become friends of sinners and reveal you, Father, to them. Lord, I ask right now, that the touch of your tenderness and your loveliness and your graciousness touch the hearts of all my brothers and sisters who, listen, who ever listen to this, that their hearts may be integrated, that their hearts may be put back together by the love of the Father in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, bless you guys. It's been a bit of a marathon, but I'm the one that was running it. <laughs> Hope you can receive this more and more. Because the more you receive his love, the more you can share his love with others. The more kind and more thoughtful you become towards other people. God bless you. Go well. Thank you.